Holy Father, you hold the winds yet a little longer. But one day they shall blow, and when they blow, they will sweep your children, your forever friends, into the wide-open embrace of our Lord Jesus, who shall come. What does it mean to live with that hope? And how could we possibly share that hope in a world like ours? Teach us, we pray, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Because let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world that is truly, biblically illiterate. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, they have absolutely no clue that the world is about to end and that Jesus is coming soon. I'm right now reading uh, Leonard Sweet's uh, powerful book, Soul Tsunami. You know, Japanese for Tidal Wave Tsunami, Soul Tsunami. I like the subtitle, Sink or Swim in a New Millennium Culture. In the book, he tells a story about a pastoral staff over in Columbus, Ohio. True story. They decide to make the pilgrimage, the, the annual American sporting event that would take place to the west of them in Indianapolis, Indiana, in March. You know what that event is? You sports uh, fans, you know. It's the NCAA basketball playoffs. Is that not right? Uh, March Madness, they call it. The Sweet 16 and then the Final Four. College basketball. So these pastors come, they've saved up their money and they have tickets lined up in this packed sports arena. As it so happens, a few moments later, two very dignified looking American couples enter. Well dressed, obviously got their uh, well healed as well. They come in and they work their way down the aisle until they are seated right behind the uh, pastoral staff from Columbus. Well, you know, if you've been in a crowded sports arena as I have, you know that the guy behind you, his knees are practically in your ears. There is no way you can avoid hearing what they're talking about right behind you if you wish to concentrate. And they hear them begin to talk because the guy was there in that nationally televised arena. You know the guy I'm talking about. He usually has orange hair, sometimes green hair. He's sitting always right where that camera is. He waits for that red light to come on. And in a handmade crude sign, the words, uh, the, the word John, the number is 316. The Super Bowl will be here in a few weeks. You watch. He will be there. How, how many are in this family? He must have cousins all over this country. They all have orange or green hair and they're there. So the couple, this couple, they say, hey, and they start talking. What is this? And the pastors are listening. They're thinking, well, well, what is this? What is it? John 3, colon 1, 6. What does that mean? Finally, one says, I wonder if it is a new restaurant that has come to Indianapolis. Maybe they're advertising a new food joint. I don't know. Finally, one of, one of them dissed the idea. He said, hey, nobody with any brains would advertise anything of worth with orange hair and a handwritten sign. Which might be a lesson to Christians, I suppose. No, 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 it couldn't be that. So they go back and forth. Finally, one guy said, hey, maybe it's a signal to somebody across the way. Meet me on the third floor, John 16th stall. <laughs> Talking about clueless. Well-educated, well-heeled Americans who had absolutely no idea. What is this? John 3.16. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a nation today that is biblically illiterate. You want to get on how, how to become a millionaire? Just hope and pray they give you one of those Bible questions. They stump the whole world. You'll get it. It should be a $200 question. They'll make it a $60,000 question. We don't know the Bible in this country. We don't know the Bible in the world. 
John, oh, by the way, John 3.16. Now, I've got to make sure. Do you, do you know that one? Huh? Do you? Come on. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, hallelujah. You're, you, you are literate. George Barna, by the way, the, the, the famed contemporary Christian researcher, did a national survey of American college students. We've got a lot of college students here. American college students. He asked them the question, who was Joan of Arc? The majority replied, the wife of Noah. <laughs> uh, don't argue with me. We live in a biblically illiterate world and nation. You know it. I know it. Ladies and gentlemen. This postmodern culture is fast becoming a post-Christian culture. Is that not true? Yes, it is. And if John 3.16 means nothing more than the third floor John, then how could they ever grasp John 14.1-3, same book? I'm a little bit scared about this one. Do you know John 14.1-3? Come on, say it with me. The words of Christ just before His death, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, the four words, what are they? I will come again. There it is. To receive you unto Myself, that where I am... There you may be also. How are you going to get the world to believe the beloved John 14 words of Christ, I will come again when the world is illiterate? I want to tell you how. Because somebody is trying and somebody's making it. It may go down as one of the greatest marketing coups of modern Christianity, not to mention modern fiction. I want to share with you what two Christian authors, one a minister, the other a professional writer, teamed up with a marketing squad. I want to share with you what they are accomplishing today in an illiterate nation. They have taken the grand premise that Jesus is coming soon. You believe it, I believe it. And they have wrapped it, they have woven it into a series of end-time novels. That's what they call them, end-time novels. And they've offered them to the public, and the public is going bananas over this series. Number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Number one on the USA Today bestseller list. Number one, Amazon.com. Barnes & Nobles has announced of all the books that were sold in the 20th century, left behind, the first issue of this series, left behind is in the top ten of all books in the 20th century. Wow. Now here we are in the 21st century. The books keep coming. The novels keep selling. They have eight titles now, a series that will eventually reach 12. They, this series has become the biggest seller in the history of book series. And it all began with that first paperback. Left Behind. And the world, I'm telling you, the world is beating a track to those second coming thrillers. A friend of mine, Glenn Oftehauer, who, by the way, was the executive producer for Net 98 when we had that satellite moment a few months ago. Glenn Oftehauer was sharing this just this week with Michigan pastors. He said, hey guys, I want to tell you something. I was on a plane flying from east to west, okay? I'm going out to L.A. 
I got bumped up to first class. Isn't that wonderful when that happened? He said, I got bumped up to first class. Lo and behold, the first class cabin is filled with senators. This is just before the Democratic Convention out in uh, the City of Angels. Filled with senators and politicians and government officials. He said, I fell into conversation with them. And he said, to a man, they were all reading a book entitled Left Behind. And they were discussing its premises. I tell you, folks, Christian Reader Magazine, which uh, promotes, and you, know, you understand there's going to be kind of a biased promotion of uh, trade publications, a trade publication rather for uh, Christian publications. But anyway, to tell a story about a little girl, a college sophomore, Emily Johnston, she wasn't seeking salvation. She, she just wanted to read a novel that a classmate lent to her. So on a cool night in October 1998, the aspiring artist from Charlotte, North Carolina, settled into her dorm room at Sweetbriar College, planning to skim the prologue and left behind. Then she would study for two exams scheduled for the next day. You know well how that goes. By sunrise, she hadn't completed a lick of her studies, but she had finished the 468-page End Times novel. At breakfast, she told her friend... Astonished friend that she was going right out that day to buy a second book and to the eternal delight of her friend Emily, the first girl becomes a Christian. She meets Jesus through the novels. It's, it's just swept the nation. We, Christy and I had the joy in the, over the New Year's break of being down in Melbourne, Australia for a youth congress. Everybody knows left behind in Australia. You know, I say everybody advisedly. What's going on? Uh, well, because of this phenomenal public response, who was surprised as I, when I learned this last fall that on February 2, 2001 A.D., do the arithmetic, how many weeks away, just four, the movie Left Behind will be released to theaters across this nation. The previous record holder for simultaneous showings in America, I don't know, maybe it was Titanic. 3,200 theaters all simultaneously showed that movie. Their goal for Left Behind is 3,800 theaters on February 2 showing that film. In fact, I went to their website, leftbehind-themovie.com, and they announced, we, have, we hope to have 57 million Americans witness this upcoming soon release about the soon return of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you now a clip from this movie. You say, wow, who do you know where you could get it? I was hoping you'd ask that. Actually, it was a, it, it's a brilliant marketing strategy. What they did was they released the movie first to Christians, evangelical Christians, got them to watch it, like it, and now the word is out. You've seen it. Make sure your neighbors go down to the local theater. It'll be here. And make sure they see it too. Kind of like what we did with Net 98. So I've seen it. In fact, I'll tell you, I've read the first four books, read them over the holiday, and get them at Walmart for just pennies. I'm going to tell you about the books. No swearing. The language is totally Christian. The, the no sex. But the books are sweeping the nation. Now, the movie's coming out. Okay, so I'm going to show you a clip from the movie. At the end of the video, there is a, there is a music video. There, the, the song, The Midnight Cry, which has been, been around for a while. They've put, it's a very heavy beat to it now. And they've taken clips from the movie. So I want you to see the clips. We'll kind of downplay the music. I'm not wanting you to hear the music. But by the way, you hear the midnight cry. If you know anything about religious history in our nation back in the 1840s, a Baptist farmer turned preacher named William Miller 
started a revival, God did through him, I believe, up and down the eastern seaboard. It became known eventually as the Midnight Cry Movement. So the, song, the words are familiar. I want you to take a look probably on this screen over here. Ladies and gentlemen, we call ourselves Adventists. Isn't that what we call ourselves? And yet, true to form, once again, someone else picks up the ball and runs with it. Only this time, alas, this time, the ball they picked up is the wrong ball. The ball they got picked up, the ball they're running with, is riddled with gaping biblical holes. That ball will never hold up in a thousand years. So much so, and I want to say this with all the candor, without any malice, without any judgment, but with a deep, with I hope, a deep spirit of Christian concern. The, the theological holes, the biblical holes in this Left Behind series are so deep that if you get, if, if an illiterate non-Christian or an illiterate Christian, we have a whole nation full of illiterate Christians as well. If they get a hold of this and accept the mistaken Bible interpretation offered in these novels. By the way, even if a biblically literate Christian gets a hold of it, but does not examine the biblical evidence, that man, that woman, that young adult will end up being the one that is tragically, in the end, left behind. I, I'm not trying to just, just kind of over-dramatize the point here, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, you, you certainly understand by now that left behind is code for the secret rapture. You know the teaching of the secret rapture, don't you? It stands for all those who got left behind when Jesus came. That's, that's the theme. According to the novels, and by the way, according to a very popular brand of evangelical theology today that is propagated with a strong seminary down in the state of Texas, it's coming out. According to this theory, Jesus comes secretly to earth and He whisks all His saints away. Not every member of the church, only the truly saved in the Christian church, away from earth to heaven. In one split second, they are gone. Poof! Nothing left but the clothes they're wearing and the jewelry and the accessories they had on. Babies in utero, gone. Babies outside the womb, gone. All children, no matter religious persuasion of parents, all children are raptured. And then all adults who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior are gone before the terrible seven-year tribulation Begins And it begins with the signing of a covenant with Israel by a United Nations leader who will eventually become the Antichrist and move the capital of the world to the sands of Iraq and he will call his capital the New Babylon. I'm telling you, friends, it sounds preposterous to you and me. When you read the novels, it is so propelling from scene to scene and the subplot is so strong that you just, you just are there and you suck it all in. I want to play for you now. I call this the love scene of the movie because this is the most tender moment. Only there's nobody there to love. The hero of the story, he's a 747 pilot named uh, Rayburn Steele. On an aborted transatlantic flight because the secret rapture took place when he was in the cockpit, he hurries back to Chicago, which is in mayhem. He makes it to his house. And this scene takes place. I want you to watch, watch the screen now. So what are you going to say? So, within four weeks, somebody's going to come up to you and say, Hey, you're a Christian? What is this about, you know, Jesus comes, He leaves some behind. Are, are you into this? Is this what all Christians believe? 
57 million, if the numbers hold, who see the movie or read the book, one of them is going to come to you. They're going to come to you in the marketplace or on the job place or in the dormitory. Somebody's going to come and say, hey, you're an Adventist, right? I mean, you believe in the, the soon coming of Jesus. What is this? Is this true? What are you going to say? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it is a clarion call to Advent hope. Look at this, First Peter 3, 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Can you tell anybody why you believe what you believe? I know you believe that Jesus is coming soon, but so does half of America, if these numbers are correct. I mean, they've all heard it, so you're not going to get anywhere. Say, well, I believe Jesus is coming soon. The question, ma'am, the question, sir, is, is this how it happens? There's a hole in all of this, ladies and gentlemen. There is a dangerous, dangerous, critical hole. If you don't know the hole, what are you say? well, don't, don't ask me. Go ask somebody else. Adventist, you ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that you have. For that reason, the following six Sabbaths will be devoted to carefully examining, we'll call it this, what left behind, left behind. Behind. I want to share with you what left behind, left behind. Number one, we'll deal with this. The greatest truth of all. That's what left behind, left behind. Number two, the most urgent truth of all. That's what got left behind. Number three, the most compelling truth of all. That's what got left behind. Number four, the most dangerous truth of all got left behind. And then finally, number five, the most clarifying truth of all. It also got left behind. He said, come on, Dwight, please. What, what is the big deal? As long as they believe, let them believe what they want to believe. You know what the big deal is? If you believe what left behind purports, if you miss what left behind left behind, you yourself will be tragically left behind in the end. It is not a little, well, just who cares? It matters. Souls and life will be at stake. You say, oh, come on, prove it to me. I've got six Sabbaths to do just that. I hope you'll be here for it. Come now, Jesus says, come on, come, 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 let us reason together. And so we must, and so we will. By the time you're through, you're going to have six study guides. We'll fill them out and do them right here together. You will be equipped to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Come and be a part of this, please. But, hey, hey, before I sit down, please, today, we, we can't just celebrate. Celebrate what left behind, left behind. Today, I say, in the final moment we have, let us celebrate what left behind did not leave behind. And I tell you what, my friends, it, there is a danger that we, we, in our exuberance for defending truth, that we throw the baby, we toss the baby out with the bathwater, and that would be wrong, tragically wrong. Do you know what left behind did not leave behind? It did not leave behind the shining, glorious truth that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is soon to return to this planet. That's true. Absolutely true. Hallelujah. Let's do it again. He promised us just before he died, John 14, 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Say it with me, come on. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you you may be also. Hallelujah. How soon? Jesus, the Savior of the world, is coming soon. How soon? We'll, we'll wrestle with that in the next few weeks. The point is soon. 
Now the question, okay, Dwight, is this, I mean, good news, bad news? Hey, well, it just depends. I'll be candid with you. It depends on your perspective. Is this soon coming of Christ good news or bad news? Well, what's your perspective? This last week, I sat down on the couch of Gail Valier's inner home. Shelly, her daughter, was there. Shelly Earhart, her husband, Shelly's husband, Jamie, there. They're grieving just last Friday, the death of husband and father, Wayne, my neighbor, our neighbor. I want to ask you something. Is the soon coming of Jesus, the resurrection and the life, isn't that the only, the only hope they live for now? Come on. We've got our dear friends, Dave and Connie Jessel, who are spending uh, a few days with us. When Karen and I graduated from the seminary, the very first little church we had was in Springfield, Oregon. We met Dave and Connie the very first Sabbath in our first church away from Andrews University. And we've been friends, good friends ever since. And, you know, we, we went out. And I hope you took advantage of this. The full moon this last week. Oh, my white blanket. We, we went on a walk together. The two of us couples ended up in Rose Hill Cemetery near our home. A wash in moonbeams over that that crystalline white covering. You know what? I know how many of you go out to that cemetery. How many of you wind your way to those hallowed plots with the words of Jesus echoing in your hope-filled heart? Let not your heart be troubled. I will come again and because I live, you will live also. Isn't that hope and isn't that good news? (sighs) Of course. You're right. It depends on your perspective. There are right now in Texas, maybe they're not in Texas, I don't know, seven escapees. Have you been following this story? From the penitentiary. Where are they? I want to tell you, for these escapees, on the lamb, on the run, I can promise you they have absolutely no desire to meet the sheriff posses who are hunting them down right now. When you have broken the law, you never want to meet the lawgiver. Revelation 6 says there are going to be some people saying, hey, rocks, mountain, cover me. Please, I don't want to see the face of the returning Savior. You're right. It depends on your perspective, whether it's good news or whether it's bad news. Jesus is coming soon. You know, I, 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 I look at the artwork of Nathan Green almost with magic. With, with supernatural giftedness for sure. How he takes dreams that I only faintly recall and turns them into life. I read C.S. Lewis who with the skill of a poet can take that beating deep within our breast and transform it into a longing for heaven. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? The soon return of Jesus is very, very good news, it seems to me. C.S. Lewis, in that book of his, The Weight of Glory, wrote these words. Look at this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too what? Too weak. You don't desire enough. We are half-hearted creatures, Lewis writes, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily, far too easily pleased. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the analysis of our problem, is it not? We got all these. We, we are stuck with the puny mud pies of this world. And Jesus said, hey, time out. I'm coming soon. Now, leave me alone. Holiday by the sea. Let me stay right here with the mud. That's the problem. 
And yet within every human breast, there beats that longing. There's got to be more than this. Lewis wrote in another place, and he is right. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Hallelujah. Let not your heart be troubled. I will come again. My dear friends, John 3.16, thanks to it, John 14.3 is the greatest news the world on the threshold of 2001 is dying to hear. John 3.16, the outstretched arms of Calvary. The outstretched arms is Nathan Green's painting of the invitation. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, look, come to me. Come to me just as you are. You come to me, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is washed away. Your, your penalty is paid. Your future is secured. Your life is eternal. Mud pies. Holiday by the sea. Come to me. For I am coming to you soon. Why would you die, O children of earth? Come to me. Are you ready? Come on, come on. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Huh? If not, He is ready for you to come to Him right now. I want to close with what for me is becoming more and more as the days go by a very precious memory. It's a memory of my father preaching when I was a boy. My dad is slipping into the, the long descent of Alzheimer's disease. But I tell you what, I grew up as a kid believing my dad was the greatest preacher in the whole world and I still believe it with all my heart. And I'd say, I don't know what little church in Japan it was that dad would be preaching at, but us three kids, I got a younger brother, Greg, and a younger sister, Carrie, we'd all be sitting on the front row and dad would preach the sermon we'd heard before. And dad would come to the end of that sermon and dad would say, Barbara, he's called for my mom. He'd say, Barbara, come up here. You sing a song for us. And my mother, I can... Still hear her rich contralto voice, beautiful voice. She'd usually take that old Roy Pendleton gospel hymn. Are you ready for Jesus to come? You ever hear that one? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you faithful in all that you do? Have you fought a good fight? Have you stood for the right? Can others see Jesus in you? I hear Mama sing and the dad would get up and he'd make an appeal and we'd all stand to our feet. Because I think to myself, you know, if Daddy preaches it and Mama sings it, then it must be right. And that's how I found a forever friendship with Jesus. It started listening to my dad preach. And I'd stand every time he'd give that appeal. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, at Andrews University, the appeal has not changed a single whit. If Jesus were to come tonight, would you be ready to face your forever friend? Would you? The Lord is coming. Are you ready? We just sang it a moment ago. Are you ready? Are you? I want to ask you something. Is your roommate ready? Is your roommate ready? Sir, is your wife ready to face Jesus tonight? Madam, is your husband ready for Jesus to come? Are your classmates ready? Are your teachers ready? Teacher, all those students that are before you... Are your student, if Jesus should come tonight, faculty, 
Would Jesus find your own students ready? How about the guys you huddle with during the coffee break on the job? Are, are, you, are your buddies ready? If Jesus would come tonight, is your neighbor ready? I'm talking about the folks right next door to you. Is your neighbor ready? How about your secretary, huh? How about your boss? Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? If you are not ready, then He is ready for you to come to Him right now. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? I would be, I would be a fool to sit down now without giving an invitation to some man here, some woman here today who knows that if Jesus came tonight, you, you'd be left behind. Really left behind. If there's a man here today who needs at this New Year's moment desperately to make a new decision for Jesus Christ, I want you to come here to the front. I want to pray with you. There's a woman here, a young adult, a teenager. You're watching on television right now. can't go anywhere. You don't have to touch your television set. You just make a decision in your heart. If Jesus were to come tonight, you want to be ready. Of course. Who wouldn't? You make the choice. John 14.3 is true because of John 3.16. God so loved the world. I'll forgive everything you've done. I'll write it all off. You come to me and I'll start over in your life right now as if you'd never sinned. John 3.16 is the truth behind John 14.3. I will come again. So I'm going to ask our Sabbath expression team to come here. I want to sing that song again. There are just two little stanzas to it and that's all we're going to sing. But as we sing, and they're going to sing the stanzas and we're going to join them on the chorus. The Lord is coming. Are you ready? And I want you to stand so that it would be easy for, for us to come out and those who need to. The Spirit is struggling with your heart right now. I'm not ready to see Jesus tonight. There is no way I'd be ready if Christ came. Hey, folks, I want to tell you something. Jesus is not coming tonight, but a truck is coming down the road tonight. See, I can walk out these doors and in 30 minutes... Jesus came for me. Christ is not coming tonight. But your life has no guarantee for the next breath. If you're not ready to face Jesus right now, then now is the perfect time. You come to Him before He comes for you. And so I want to pray with you. There's no magic that's going to take place here. But the Spirit of Christ will empower you because you'll be saying to yourself, this is so important. I don't care who's watching. I'm going to come back to Jesus just as I am. I'm going to come down here and meet you here. I'm going to ask the elders who are here and the pastors who are here to come and join me as these come forward. I know there's some here who need to see Jesus tonight. And right now by His grace, He can make you ready. So John 3.16, trusting Him is all about. Ladies, sing and we'll join you on the chorus. And as they sing, as they sing, you come forward. How about it, the rest of us? Huh? Want to rededicate your life to this same Lord Jesus for the year, the new year ahead? Raise your hand with me if you want to make that statement to heaven. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we raise our hands. We come to the altar. We, we respond. Because our hearts long. You, you, you know us like a book. 
our hearts long to be set free from those mud pies. That we might have a holiday by the sea with you. We long for the freedom and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness that only the Lord Jesus Christ can offer. And so we've come to you. And oh God, I praise you for these who stood up and slipped to the aisle and came to the front. They're here and I'm praying to you now on their behalf. They're here because they're asking for a new chapter to be written in this voyage. A new story with Jesus in the center this time. Assure them, whisper through the Spirit. Let them find the Bible promise that the past is buried in the depths of the sea and though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Let them know it's a brand new beginning. And then, oh God, from this moment on, keep the, keep the fire burning brightly. Keep the courage growing stronger. Keep the hope clinging. Meet with them every new dawning and assure them your heart has not changed. You still call them friend as you walk by each of our sides. Holy Father, see you this moment in the courts above. And when Jesus comes as He shall come and we look into the face of the One on that cloud, we will know this, this is the Friend and Savior we have followed all our lives. In Christ's name, dear Father, and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, seal this benediction forever within us and within your heart above. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, let all the people say, Amen and Amen.